This is the sermon podcast of Lord of Life Lutheran Church in Columbus, Ohio, where we proclaim God's extravagant grace, radical inclusion, and relentless compassion. Join us for worship Sundays at 8 a.m., 9 a.m., or 11.15 a.m. This is Lord of Life. There is a place for you here. For more information, please visit our website at www.acceptingall.com. Morning. Chapter Isaiah, chapter 66. Rejoice with Jerusalem and be glad for her. All you who love her, rejoice with her in joy. All you who mourn her, that you may nurse and be satisfied from the consoling breast, that you may drink deeply with delight from her glorious bosom. For thus says the Lord, I will extend prosperity to her like a river, and the wealth of the nations like an overflowing stream, and you shall nurse and be carried on her arm, and dandled on her knees. As a mother comforts her child, so I will comfort you. You shall be comforted in Jerusalem. You shall see, and your heart shall rejoice. Your bodies shall flourish like the grass, and it shall be known that the hand of the Lord with the servants, and his indignation is against his enemies. From, Gen- from Galatians chapter 6. All must test their own work, and then that work, rather than their neighbor's work, will become a cause for pride, for all must carry their own loads. Those who are taught the words must share in all good things with their teacher. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For the reap whatever you sow. If you sow to your own flesh, you will reap corruption from the flesh. But if you sow to the Spirit, you will reap eternal life from the Spirit. So let us not grow weary in doing what is right. For we will reap at harvest time. If we do not give up, so then, whenever we have an opportunity, let us work for the good of all, and especially for those of the family of faith. See what large letters I make when I am writing in my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh that try to compel you to be circumcised, only that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. Even the circumcised do not themselves obey the law, but they want you to be circumcised so they may boast about your flesh. May I never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. For neither circumcision nor uncircumcision is anything, but a new creation is everything." As for those who will follow this rule, peace be upon them and mercy and upon the Israel of God. Please stand for the reading of the gospel. The gospel today comes from the 10th chapter of Luke. After this, the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them on ahead of him in pairs to every town and place where he himself intended to go. He said to them, 
The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go on your way. See, I am sending you out like lambs into the midst of wolves. Carry no purse, no bag, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace to this house. And if anyone is there who shares in peace, your peace will rest on that person. But if not, it will return to you. Remain in the same house, eating and drinking whatever they provide, for the laborer deserves to be paid. Do not move about from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and its people welcome you, eat what is set before you. Cure the sick who are there and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not welcome you, go out into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off in protest against you. Yet know this, the kingdom of God has come near. Whoever listens to you listens to me, and whoever rejects you rejects me, and whoever rejects me rejects the one who sent me. The 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, in your name even the demons submit to us. He said to them, I watched Satan fall from heaven like a flash of lightning. See, I have given you authority to tread on snakes and scorpions and over all the powers of the enemy, and nothing will hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice at this, that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Please be seated. Um... I suppose we all have a catalog of images that we carry around with us, most likely learned in Sunday school. These images that pop into our minds when we hear stuff, like when I say Jesus and his disciples, what's the image that pops into your mind? For me, I think it's the image of the table at the Last Supper. Jesus is in the center there with his 12 disciples on either side. This reading comes as a good reminder, to me anyway, that Jesus didn't just have 12 disciples. He had lots of disciples. We're told that oftentimes wherever he went, he was followed by a crowd of people who doubtless included people at different points of, of, of commitment, of belief, of understanding. And we're told today that he sent 70 disciples out. And one of the infuriating things about this text, at least for a pastor, is it doesn't say which 70 or why. Why did he choose these 70? What gifts did they possess? What skills that, that suited them for this task? Because let's face it, pastors are always looking for ways to 
to make their congregations more, success, more successful. They're looking for the right programs to, to get things moving. But the gospel writers are frustratingly succinct in their storytelling. They don't tend to go into much detail. They want to tell the basic story. And so I suppose it's probably fairly safe to assume that if they didn't include it in the story, it probably isn't all that important. So the answer to the question of what skills did these guys and women possess or what, you know, what did they bring to the game, I guess the answer is it doesn't matter. We're not told that they had any special missionary zeal or that they, they had a, a special heart for evangelism or that their faith was, was folksy and childlike or anything else like that. We're just told that Jesus said, you 70, go. And then when they come back and they're saying, this was so cool, even the demons submitted to us. Jesus, in effect, says, yeah, well, don't get cocky. Don't be impressed that the demon submitted to you. Simply rejoice in the fact that your name is recorded in heaven. I suppose, I suppose this story reminds us of a couple basic facts of what it is we are involved with here. The first is that this is not our undertaking. It's God's. It's right there in the language. It doesn't say the, the, the reign of Lord of Life has come near or, or the reign of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America has come near or the reign of Martin has come near. The reign of God has come near. And the second thing is that this isn't our task. That God is making this happen. Whether we're on board or not, God is making this happen regardless of what skills we bring to this game. The kingdom of God is coming near and we're not going to stop it for all of our efforts <laughs> or lack of efforts. We are not going to stop the coming of the kingdom of God. And yet, oftentimes it seems Sometimes, I think unconsciously, the language that we use points to the way we think about this. Sometimes I, I will hear people talk about, um, uh, you know, why are we here? We are here to do the work of Christ. As if somehow Christ didn't quite get the job done and now has left it up to us to finish the work. Or... I sometimes hear, you know, we are here to win, fill in the blank, for Christ. You know, to win people for Christ, to win this nation for Christ, to win whatever for Christ. 
there again as if Christ is a, a soccer coach and sends us into the game and it's up to us to actually win the game. Even the, even the language we use of, of uh, we are the body of Christ, which is wonderful language and yet it sometimes has this aftertaste as if, well, God's a paraplegic and, and God has, has taken on our arms and legs so that we can get things done. And yet the language of Jesus sending out these 70 doesn't seem to leave much room for them to claim any part of it. Jesus seems to go out of his way. Look, when you go, don't take any money. Don't take a change of clothes. Don't take any sandals. Don't take a staff. Don't take anything other than yourself. Simply be there. Be present. And watch what happens. When we start thinking otherwise, I think we get into all kinds of trouble. As, especially as a pastor, I think we are susceptible to all kinds of anxieties and neuroses when it comes to ministry. When we do something that goes right, when we try a program and people actually respond about it, we get arrogant about it, and we think that, that we, we got the answer, and so I'm going to go set up all these workshops and tell other pastors how to do this. And the other side of that is when something doesn't go well, then we fall into the sin of despair and start thinking, you know, apparently I'm not gifted for this, or apparently I don't have enough to do this, apparently God has no use for me, or, you know, fill in the blank on that one. All of which seems to be a form of self-absorption. As if somehow this work depended on me. As if somehow this work depended on you. But Jesus does not send the disciples out with instructions to save the world. He sends them out with a very simple task. You are going to be my witnesses. You're going to be the ones who see and tell what's happening. I can't save anybody. I have never saved anybody. I will never save anybody. All I can do is give witness to the one who can. All I can do is point to, to the presence of Christ that I see in the world and in you. All I can do is give witness to what I see going on and what my hope is. And that is at one in the, time, at one in the same time an incredibly humbling realization and a very comforting realization. Humbling in that it reminds me that I can't do this. Comforting in that it reminds me that I can't do this and that it's not my responsibility.
The reign of God is coming. The reign of God will happen. And the witnesses will go out into all the world, whether it's us or whether it's somebody else. The 70 that Jesus sends out have no special skills or abilities other than their simple willingness to go. And it seems that that's really all that's up to us. If we are willing to be part of this great undertaking or whether we're going to resist it. In the end, it won't matter one way or the other. Because you'll notice that when Jesus sends these 70 out, he says, you know, if you come into a town and they receive you warmly, you tell them the reign of God has come near. But if you come into a town and they pick you up and chuck you over the fence, pick yourself up, dust yourself off, and then yell back over the fence, yeah, but know this, the kingdom of God has come near. One way or another, the message will go out. We are those who are blessed to see what's going on and to be part of it. But it will go out until even that most stubborn soul who refuses to hear, who refuses to take part, who refuses to receive that good news will finally give in and say, all right, all right, fine. The reign of God has come near. And on that day, the kingdom of God will finally be here in its wholeness, in its fullness. But until that day, we get to be part of what we call good news. And it should come as a, a warning light should go off in our head if ever we find ourselves feeling guilty about it or feeling ashamed because of it or feeling inadequate because of it. Somehow that doesn't sound like good news. Rather we are given one job in this in this undertaking and that job is to tell the joyful story to go out to point and to say there it is amen